Job chapter one, verse number one. Go ahead and, and look at your Bibles and, and see kind of the introduction to our, our, our character in the story today. A, a person that we um, are, are gonna learn so much about in, in the next few minutes. Job chapter one, verse number one. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz who was named Job. That man was blameless and he was upright. He was one who feared God and he turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And listen to what verse number five says. It says, when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of his children. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did this continually. Job is praying for his children. Job is rising early and he's going and praying for his children. He's, he's getting up, he's being intentional and he's setting aside time to make sure that he is in prayer, making sacrifices for his kids. And he's saying that maybe they've done wrong in their hearts. Maybe they have, maybe they have cursed God in their hearts. And I'm gonna pray for them. Even though I don't, I don't know all the details of that, but I'm gonna be praying for them. And I have to tell you that this, this concept right here is something that is very new. I have a new perspective for, for praying for your children. And just in the last few weeks, I have, I have developed a new perspective of what this means because literally my wife and I had a baby like three weeks ago. Like our first child was born three weeks ago. And he, I, I'm not joking you, his name is Ira Joseph Brady. And he, I, I am obsessed with this guy. I'm like, I cannot stand it how much I love him. And, and just seeing him it, like growing even the last few weeks, like I can, he's already talking, he's walking. He's, I'm just kidding. He's, like I, every, everything I see him do, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, whoa. And I, I, I have to be honest, like, I am learning a lot. Like I, there, there is a lot of learning going on. And as he kind of grows, I'm, I'm figuring things out. And we literally can't, if you're wondering what me and Maddie do all day at home, we, we stare at this child. I mean, I, brought, I gave you, I brought some pictures that I want to show you. Um, this is him. I mean, look at it. He's, he loves to look at the sky. So he's just staring into the heavens. I mean, how, he, how angelic is that? I mean, like, come on. And, and he's, he loves just look up there and he has all these different reactions and facial um, expressions that I love to like look at. And um, I think I brought a few pictures of him. Like he, he just like amazed by God's glory. And then he's, he's kind of got like a devious side to him too. So he's always like smirking. Like he's, he's, he's uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on there. I feel like there's a little bit of mischief. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, so proud. I mean, look at him. I, I love this guy. And, and then um, we, we just had him a few weeks ago. And my wife, Maddie, um, she, she is like the most amazing person ever. Like I loved Maddie, but like in the last few weeks, just watching her step into the mother role. I mean, it is, it is this, the, a wild time in my life. And I, I am learning so much. And this is, that's my wife, Maddie. And that's like him when he was born. The, the nurses immediately told us that he was way too bundled up after that. They're like, take some blankets off him, please. They're like he's wearing a hat. He's, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so well, please pray for this child. Um, but like, we, we are so excited. And, and it gives me a new perspective of what it means to pray for your children. 
children because not just since not just since Ira has been born has this been like become a new perspective in my life, but even back when my my wife became pregnant, I, I my prayer life shifted a little bit. It changed because all of a sudden I'm praying for this 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 thing that is growing in my wife that I have no control over. And and what's true is even to a fault, there have been times in my life where I've prayed to God and and I've been praying and, and as I've been saying this to the Lord in in the back of my mind in the back of my heart I've been kind of like man I'm, I'm giving this to God but truthfully I can do what I can I can contribute to the the success of what I'm praying about I can help I can kind of contribute to this being a success but man when that baby was growing inside Maddie I was praying desperately because honestly there was nothing that I could do to to control how this baby was developing how his little fingernails were coming together how how everything was happening and I, I remember praying in a new way just like Job is praying for his children in a way that is really just dependent on God. He's relying on the Lord saying, Lord, I don't know what's in their heart. You do. And he's going to the Lord in prayer. Job is praying for his children. And, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Praying for your children. This is, that's why in the video there were, there were some kids running around just praying and like this, this, this whole series about why do we pray. And, and praying for your children is something that we can simply look in this story. And, and even just that is, a, is an example from God's word that we should follow. You should be praying for your children. But what's true is it's not just your biological children, not just your, your kids that are your own, but, but even the people that you are discipling, people that, that you are pouring into, that God has put under your influence, be praying for them. This is an example that we can, we can kind of learn from this. And, and not just your children, not just the disciples in your life, but, but just what God has entrusted to you, what God has given to you in your life, what he has, what he has entrusted into your care, into your authority, and into your stewardship. Be praying for these things. And this whole series is about why pray. Well, this is a good reason. We, we as Christ followers are looking at, at all the different reasons that we should pray, and, and this is one of them. We should be praying because God has entrusted us with responsibilities that, that we, we should be seeking guidance. We should be seeking help from the Lord in order to, to make these things, to steward these things well. We should be praying for what God has entrusted us with. Pray for what God has entrusted you with. Maybe you wonder, what has God entrusted with me? What, 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 do you believe that God has entrusted you with things? Maybe it's really obvious, like a child. Like that, that, is, that is obvious. Or maybe it's really obvious because there's these people in your life that God has surrounded you with that you have influence over. And you're like, this is obvious. I've, I've been entrusted with these, these followers of Christ, these unbelievers that I want to see come to know the Lord. And this is obvious to me. Maybe there's other things that are, are more subtle. What, what has God entrusted you with? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that, that he's given to you? There's, there's different examples throughout scripture, but um, I, I love what, what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.14. He, he puts it in a really cool way. It says in 2 Timothy 1.14, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You've been entrusted with these things, and so you should be guarding them. 
you, you've been entrusted with something. And I love what, what Paul is writing in Timothy here because he gives kind of an image. And I love the image of God depositing something into us. God has made a deposit into our care. He is, he is entrusted us with something. And, and what I think of when I think of a, a deposit, I think of um, you know, uh, going to the bank and putting something into the bank and you, you put things into accounts to, to get a return on them. You're, you are investing into a, a place where when you come back and make a withdrawal, there's more than what you put in there. When you, when you put them into certain places, when he's making a deposit into us, when he, is, when he has entrusted us with something, the same thing is true. That, that he doesn't want to get back what exactly what you, who he's been, been giving you. He wants to see how this has developed, how this has been discipled, how has this grown, how have you multiplied what I've entrusted you with. And we should be praying for this because honestly, we need help with this. We, we need help with, with making this into something that we can honor the Lord with. We must pray for what God has entrusted us with. That means pleading with him to just help us, even on a basic level. And, and today, maybe that's what, maybe that's just a, a takeaway that you draw from this on a, on a foundational level. This is, this is what we can, we can take as a first step, even in a simple like, a place that we are when we look at God's word. Maybe that is what you do. You just say, you know what, I'm going to, I need to pray for my children. I need to pray for what God has entrusted with, with, with me. He's put in my care. I need to be in prayer about this. I, I need to start praying. And the reason that you need to start praying is because you haven't before. It's kind of worked out. It's kind of been okay. It's kind of been like, eh, like there's been some struggle. There's been some difficulty, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And, and you haven't been praying. And maybe this is the first step that you need to take is saying, you know what? Just like Job was, just like he was intentional, he rose early. I need to begin praying for what God has entrusted me with. And if, if you don't know what God has entrusted you with, there's, there's all kinds of things. He's, he's given you gifts and talents and skills. He's, he's given you things that maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't have. He's, give, he's given you special, special places and positions and roles in order for you to use what God has given you for his kingdom. This is, this is unique and specific to each believer. He, he's not just giving you gifts and talents and skills, but throughout scripture, you can also see that he's given you a purpose, a very clear purpose and a mission for your life. He's entrusted this with you. He, he's entrusted that to you. He's, he's saying, I've given this thing that I, I want you to be obedient. And we can see it throughout scripture, these commands that he wants us to obey because he knows what is gonna build the kingdom here on earth. And so he's saying, I've given this purpose and this mission to you. This is, this is clear for all believers. It's, it's for us as a church, but it's also a specific plan for your life that helps build to, to accomplish the great purpose that God has for, for us as a kingdom. And, and this is what God's entrusted to you. And he's also entrusted you with, with influence and people like children, like people that you're discipling, people that look up to you, to, that see how you operate and they pay attention to how you make decisions. And, and he's given those to us. He's entrusted all of this to us and we should be in prayer. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to begin doing is just praying, asking God for help in the things that, that you have been entrusted with. But maybe you already do that. Maybe, maybe you already have begun that or you've already been in a habit of doing that. But I think, I think for us, there's a deeper calling here. There's a deeper thing, just not, not just praying, but beyond prayer, beyond praying for our children, beyond praying for what God has entrusted us with, there's something else here that we can see throughout Job's life. And it's not just prayer. It's not just praying like Job, but posturing ourselves like Job, to be postured in the same way that Job is postured. 
And, and we should not just be praying for what God has entrusted us with, but we should be praying with the right posture. Pray with the right posture. And when I say that, you might be like, well, what are you talking about? Like, are you, are you talking about like my physical posture? I'm not necessarily talking about a, a physical like way that you shape your body when you pray. I'm not talking about a position that you're in, but I'm, I mean your heart posture, your, your life posture. What is the posture of your heart when you come to the Lord in prayer? And when I think about this, I, I, when I hear the word posture, I immediately go back. I had, I had incredible, like my, I, I've been blessed with all four of my grandparents. I got to, to grow up with them and I love them and, and they, they, have, they have helped raise me and can make me into who I am. And one of the ways is my grandmother was really good at keeping an eye on my posture. I mean, she was like my accountability partner when it came to posture at the dinner table. And like she, she would make sure that I was, and if my elbows were on the table or if I was slouching, she's like, uh-uh, don't do that. You eat your spaghettios with the right posture. And so I'd be like, okay. And so I remember like, like I have like flashbacks. And if you see me leaning like forward to the dining room table, or if you see me like with my elbows on there, just know that it's my rebellious heart. I was raised the right way. It's just me <laughs> deviating from what, God, from what God gave me as, as authority in my life. And it, it's my fault. But when I think about posture, it's not just as, as, a, as a physical posture, but also the posture of our heart. And, and if there's a good posture for us to have, that means there's also some bad posture that, that is really obvious sometimes. And, and to give you a few examples of bad posture when you pray, what I mean by, by bad heart posture is maybe, maybe I would call it like a ritualistic heart, a heart that prays, but it comes from a place of just kind of filling in the blanks or like checking off the box or, or you pray almost like taking like empty steps because you feel like you should. You feel like this is what you're supposed to do. And, and you, you, you only do this because this is maybe what, you, maybe what you grew up doing and you don't really know the power behind it. You don't know why you do it, but you, you just take the steps. And honestly, sometimes this can become almost like a manipulative thing where we're trying to manipulate God. We're saying, I prayed, I, I did this, so you should do this. It, 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 this this is a bad posture to pray from. Another bad posture for your heart is a faithless heart. This is, this is the heart that prays. Maybe, maybe a faithless heart doesn't pray sometimes, but I, I, even like a faithless heart can pray, but praying with a, a, an extreme disbelief that our God is even capable of doing this. It's like you're praying emptily where you're saying, I'm praying for this, but the whole time you're praying, you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you're like, yeah, right. This is, there's no way it's going to happen. Or you're, you're praying this to God and you're like, good luck, God. <laughs> like, good luck with this one. Like, you're, you're praying to him, but it's, you don't have any faith attached to, to the posture of your heart when you pray. Another bad posture is, is, is a hardened heart. Where you're asking God for help and you're saying, God, please help me. I need help with the, the things that I've been entrusted with. Please, like, show me what to do. And then when God shows you the help, when he gives you these, these, these guidances or he gives you wisdom or he, he shows you what to do or he convicts your heart about something, you, your heart is so hardened that you don't receive the help that God has given you. You don't receive what it is that God has, has, has given you as, as steps to take or as guidance. And, and our hearts can become hardened because we are not praying from the right posture. And in all of that, I think, honestly, there's been times in my life for all three of those where I've prayed from the wrong posture, where, I've, where I have not prayed from the right place, where I've, where I've come from a, a, maybe a haughty spirit, or I've come with a, a, a ritualistic heart, or I've come with a faithless heart, or I've come with, with a hardened thing where I'm like, I don't really wanna do what God is telling me to do in this situation. But Job gives us an example. Job's life and his heart gives us an example of the proper posture that we should pray from, that we should strive to pray with this 
posture. We, and the truth is, I'll show you what I mean by this, but we should pray from a heart of submission. The proper posture is a heart that is submitted to God, a submissive heart. The posture that Job prays from, it says, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. In fact, look at, look at what happens in verse number, let's skip down to verse number 13, Job chapter one, verse number 13. There, there's, there's a conversation that happens between the enemy and, and, and God. And, and eventually God says, look at my man, Job. He's so upright. He is, he's a, a person who, who he never curses my name. He is an, an upright man. And it comes down and, and look in verse number 13, what happens to Job. This is the same guy that has all this wealth all this influence, his whole family. Look at what happens in verse number 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians, these enemies, they fell upon them and they took them and they struck down the servants. They killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So if you're, if you're imagining this, like literally Job's chilling and all of a sudden one of his servants comes running and probably just like, like out of breath. He's just like, ha, ha, you're not gonna believe what happened, Job. And he tells them that all of his servants over here were just killed over in these fields by, by the enemy. And then verse number 16, it says, while he was yet speaking, so while that guy's finishing up his sentence, while he was yet speaking, there came another. And he said, the fire of God fell from heaven and it burned up the sheep and the servants and it consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And so now he just found out this really bad news and then someone else comes in and brings him even more news about what he's just lost in verse number 17. It says, while he was yet speaking, there came another and he said that Chaldeans, they formed three groups, they made a raid on the camels and they took them. They took our camels and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. Are you seeing what's happening? All these things are crumbling around Job's wealth. All these things are being taken away from him in verse number 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another, another person came running into the, the house and he said, he, he's kind of breathing hard again. He says, your sons and your daughters, they were eating and they were drinking in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job just lost everything. Job just lost every, all the things that described in, in the first part of the chapter. He just, it's all gone. Everything has disappeared. And look at what, what happens. The posture of Job's heart. Verse 20, then Job arose. He just heard this bad news. His family died. All of his, all of his wealth is gone. Then Job arose and tore his robe. He shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's, my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is the posture of Job's heart, even in the midst of this, but that's not all. It gets worse. Look, look over in, in, in the second chapter in verse number seven. It says, so Satan went from the presence of the Lord after all these things that happened around Job in, in his life, all of a sudden something happens to Job. It says, the Lord, he said, left the presence of the Lord and then the enemy struck Job 
with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes of his own home that's probably burned down where his family has just died. Now he's overcome with these sores. He's, he's, so, he's in such a bad place by himself. All of his servants are gone and dead. And he, he, the description here is so vivid that he even took a piece of broken pottery and he scrapes himself. This is such a, a vivid image of, of complete loss. And then in verse nine, his wife comes and says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. The posture of Job in his prayer is, is, is such a place that, that I, I mean, I honestly don't know as when I read that, the pain that he would be feeling, the things that he would be overwhelmed with. I don't know what my reaction would be, but I know what I would want it to be. I would want it to be this submission to God. It would be even, the, Job's heart says, his, his posture says, even though I lose everything, even though I lose everything that is dear to me, everything that, that I hold dear in this world, everything that I love, everything that I cherish, even though I lose this, even though this is a loss, I will not lose faith. I will submit to God. I will submit to the God of everything. I will stand my ground with my trust in a completely, completely submitted fashion where I'm saying I'm trusting completely in my God. Even if the answer to the prayer is something I do not, I, I, I don't think is the same as what God answers the prayer with. Even though I, I pray with an expectation of what I think might need to happen, even when that doesn't happen, I submit to God anyway. No matter what I lose, no matter what I don't understand, no matter how far from, from God's word the culture becomes, no matter how, how crazy I might look because I'm relying and trusting in God, because this is the exact opposite of what the world would tell us, we, we, we would be told by the world to, to trust in our own power, to gather what you can. And, and if it doesn't work out, there's, a, there's, there's some kind of like reason for that. And, and it would be completely contrary to submitting to a God, to a King of Kings who is Lord of everything and submitting to him, no matter what the outcome, no matter what it is, I will trust God with it. He, this is the posture of Job, a posture of a submissive heart that comes to God. And it's evidenced throughout the book of Job that he never, he, you know, the whole thing was about cursing God. The enemy came to God and said, if I take these things away, he will curse you to your face, God. He will curse his God to your face. And, and this is the, these are the tests that he's put under. He's, he undergoes these things. And, and throughout scripture, he, he even... He even comes to a place where he curses the day that he was born. He wishes he had never been born, but he never, he never does curse God. He never does go to a place where, where he curses God for, for, for the things that he was, was given and taken away. This is the posture of Job. It's, 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 it's not a light thing, a, a posture that, that is submissive to God. And in addition to not just praying from a posture of submission, not just praying to, to, to God about what's been entrusted to us with a, a heart that, that, that is trusting in God, no matter what the outcome might be, there's also something else that I think we can learn from, from what Job does here. 
that is kind of subtle and it's quick and it's just a, a little thing, but I think that we can learn from it. And it's all the way back in Job chapter one, verse number five. Look at, look at what it says at the very, very end. It says, thus Job did continually. Thus Job did this continually. And this is, this is how Job prays. Now, he doesn't just decide to be intentional and go and pray. He doesn't just pray from a posture of submission. Even though he prays, he gets, a, he gets a completely different thing in his life than what he was praying for. I'm sure he wasn't praying for his children to die. He wasn't praying for his things to be lost, but he prays, he gets a different answer and he still submits to God, but he also did it continually. Job did not just pray this, this prayer for his children one time. He didn't, he didn't do it just once in kind of like an, a, a secluded moment in his life. He did this continually. And not only should we pray one time, not only should, should we pray from the right, pro, the right posture, but we should pray with persistence. We should pray continually. This is something that, that we should have already on the edge of our tongue. We should be praying not just in our, with our mouth, but with our hearts all the time. And, and, and God's word, this is all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, something that God reminds us to do. All, even in 1 Thessalonians, it, it says in chapter five to pray without ceasing. And, and that word that, that Paul would have used when he was writing that, it, he, it would have referenced it would have referenced a, a person when it says without ceasing, that's something that they would have called a person with a hacking cough back then. Like when you would have read that word, you would have thought of somebody that had like a, a cough and like an itch in their throat. And, and when they have that itch in their throat, they, they're always kind of like, like trying to clear it. And they're always trying to like cough it out. And, and a person who's always constantly hacking is, is, is a good example of someone who should always be praying. It's a reminder of as many times this guy coughs, I should be praying. As I go throughout my day, as that guy coughs everywhere, I should be praying everywhere. I should be going to the Lord in prayer all the time, trying to not get something out of my throat, but get something off my heart. I should be able to submit these things all the time, whether that is you getting on your knees and praying, or if it's you just driving down the road with, with going to a meeting, or you're going to somewhere that you're, you've got stress in your heart and you don't have this big ornate put together prayer. I love what Pastor Jim was talking about. Where, where we don't have to pray with this big, like put together thing. A simple prayer of Peter was save me last week when he was just talking about, please save me. And he's saying these, these, these things can be ready on our hearts and that's how it should be. It should be continual with, without pausing, without ceasing. And, and this, is, this is something that is kind of like close to my heart because throughout my whole childhood growing up, I remember my, my parents were intentional to tell me and, and remind me all the time that they prayed for me and my siblings every single night before they went to bed. Every single night, they, they, they said they would pray for me. And they, they said, we don't, we don't go to sleep without praying for each of you by name. And, and same thing with my, my grandfather. And, and I remember him always being intentional. Whenever I'm visiting him, and he, we always go yard sailing with him. And whenever I'm yard sailing with him, it's like these little things that he's passing. He goes every single Saturday. And he's like, every time I drive to work, when I pass that sign, I pray for you. I'm like, wow. Or there's like a sign that says like Sawyer. And he's like, every time I pass Sawyer, I pray for Sawyer. And he's, he's intentional with these prayers and he's persistent with them. And, and you know, you might look at me and be like, well, what happened to all those prayers? <laughs> like, what, like what in the world? And I kind of do honestly feel like, like my sister Sage got most of the prayers answered because she's like the coolest one out of all of us. But like, I, I do think like there's the, these persistent things in our, in our lives. I wonder where I would be if my parents hadn't been praying for me. If, if my grandfather hadn't prayed for me every single time, not just my grandfather, but my, my family been praying for me because they did so, so regularly, so persistently. 
And, and you know, I wonder about that. I wonder what would be different. And something that's ingrained in, in my wife's memory, something that Maddie remembers all the way from the, the time where we, she started remembering things is that she, her and her siblings, she says that she couldn't even go to sleep until her parents would come in and they, they would pray a specific a quoted scripture over her. They would, they would pray number six over her every single night before she went to bed. They, they would pray that over her bed. And then she said that she would always be able to go to sleep after that. And this wasn't something that happened intermittently. This was something that happened every single night, every single day. There was a, a pattern and a persistence to it. And, and I, I, I wonder what would have happened if, if my parents or, or Maddie's parents would have been, you know, just like kind of intermittent with it, kind of random, kind of casual, kind of like here and there, whenever we kind of think about it. Because there is persistence here in Job's prayers. And, and I think that this is something that maybe we can say, you know what, I do pray. And I pray from a posture that trusts God and I submit to what he does. But you know what? I could pray more consistently. I could pray in a persistent way. I could pray continually like Job does. But what happens when we, when we pray? What happens when we pray from the, the proper posture? What happens when we pray from the proper posture persistently? Well, what happens is there's power in our prayer. We believe this at Brookstone. That's why we pray all the time. I and mean, we set aside entire nights where we pray. We believe that prayer is powerful and we're committed to setting aside a time to do that because we believe there's power in prayer. And there's true, there's power in our prayer, not in our strength. And you can see this in Job's life. There's, there's, there's not power in his strength or your wealth or your influence. There's not power in these things, but there's power even more so in our weakness. In the places where Job is brought low in his weakness, he is not able to be strong in himself, but there is a holy and perfect power that comes alive. There's a holy power of an almighty God who we have submitted our cares to. This is the power of prayer that we pray with. This is the God that we make our requests known to. This is who we pray to. And there is a power that is in our prayers when we do the prayers that God tells us to pray. This is, this is what we are encouraged to do. And what's, what's evident throughout this book of Job is, you know, Job had good stature. He had influence. He was well-known in the area. He had obviously had wealth. He had a great family, but all is taken away from him. And, and he has all these things that are, are maybe according to the world that you would just want to gain your whole life and you would work your whole life to gain them. But in the end, none of those things are what sustained him. None of those things are what brought him to, to, to survive even, to, to, to be in a place where he can have joy, where he can enjoy his life. None of those things are what sustained him. What sustained him in the end, in fact, in Job 42, I'll flip there and I'll read to you what happens at the end. In, in the very final, the final days in Job 42, verse, verse number 10, after a long conversation with Job, arguing really with his friends about how he must have been punished for his sins, he must have been all, all these different things, these theories about why this happened, it comes all the way to the end. After Job goes through all of this, in verse number 10 in Job chapter 42, it says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
Then came to him all of his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and they comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. Syrup. That's what I thought of as soon as I saw that. In the name of the second, Keziah. In the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. I don't know what the other ones are. In verse number 15, in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. In verse number 16, and after this, Job lived 140 years. And after praying for his children in the beginning, after rising early and being intentional with his prayer, he wakes up and he, he prays for them continually that they wouldn't curse God in their heart. Be so, so careful about his children. And after this, Job lived 140 years and he saw his sons and he saw his son's sons for four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. And what's true is the things that, that we often bring to God, the things that we're concerned with, the things that, that made Job look like he had so much stature are not what sustains us in the end. It was God and God alone who restored Job. It was the power of God who sustains Job and it's the power of God who sustains us and it's the power of God who will restore us in the end. And maybe you can't see the restoration at the end and maybe your restoration does not look like what Job is, is gets at the end of this, this whole entire book, but it looks like something totally different. And I know that each of us, if you have trusted Christ as your savior, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, that the Bible says, clearly separates you from God. Isaiah 59 says that your sin separates you from your creator. It's, it's drawn a division from your God because of the sins in your life. And if you're thinking, I don't have any sins in my life, the Bible goes on to say in the New Testament that all have sinned. All of us have these wrongs in our life. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And that means all of us are separated from God. And the only solution for this is that God loved us so much in that separation. When we were messed up, when we were led astray, he loved us so much that he sent his only son to live a life that was perfect without sin, that was blameless, that had no blemish, a life that was perfect. And the only life, the only person that could ever laid down a life for us to be forgiven did on the cross when he died there to make a sacrifice for us so that when God looks down on us, he does not see just all of our mess up and our, our division and our things that we have wrong. He looks down and he sees his perfect son's life. And he says, this is, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is you because you have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life on the third day to defeat death ultimately and to offer forgiveness of, a, of our sins that separates us from God. And this is the ultimate restoration in eternity with a God, with a creator who originally set us in motion for us to come to know him one day. And if it, maybe our restoration doesn't look like this here on earth, but we can have hope and a restoration for eternity if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. This is the power of God evident in our lives. When we pray to God intentionally, when we come with a posture of submission to his great plan, and when we do this persistently throughout our life, every moment, every place that we are at, we are praying to God because he is the only one who can sustain and restore. This is my challenge to us that we would pray to a God from the right posture 
in a persistent way.